good morning, church. How's everyone doing this morning? Yeah. All right. Well, um, as Daryl mentioned, we uh, happy Father's Day for, for many of you all here, uh, celebrating all the ways that, that many of you, uh, father and parent and grandfather, uh, kind of in whatever place you find yourself in this morning, know that uh, we're thinking of you and praying for you, um, whether it's... Um, in a place of loss and, and grief or the not yet or just maybe needing just a little reprieve from the craziness that is raising kids. We're just celebrating, uh, especially to all the men of this congregation um, and how you all form others in the faith here in this community. I celebrate you all as fathers in the faith, every single one of you um, that are here. So it's great to be in worship. We're so glad that you are here. Welcome if you are visiting with us. I'm so glad that you're in worship with us. Welcome. If you are um, worshiping online with us, we're glad you're here as well. Uh, before we get started, I want to go ahead and release our kids. You're ready, aren't you, man? Yeah. We're going to dismiss our kids for Revolution Kids, going upstairs with some of our teachers this morning. Hope you guys have a great time. All right, so many of you have reached out in the last several weeks to share with me one of your Holy Ghost stories. Uh, a way or a place in your life, in your journey of faith, where you have felt the presence of God, the power of the Holy Spirit in that moment. And man, what a privilege it's been to hear some of your all stories. It's just been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing them with me. Um, one of you all last week said, I have one, but it's not very big. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. Anytime that God shows up in our everyday comings and goings, our day-to-day -day life, we're standing in the presence of the divine creator. It's a big deal, no matter what, no matter what. Uh, so we have a, sh a story to share with you this morning. Uh, Joyce Horrell was gracious enough to, to record some of uh, one of, a couple of her God moments that were kind of in those everyday comings and goings. Uh, and so we're going to hear from her now. Hello, my name is Joyce Horrell, and I had shared with Rachel that there were two times in my life when I felt the hand of God. First, I would periodically take sweets, candies, cookies, ice cream, to the Carmelite Sisters on Newburgh Road next to St. Agnes. They are a cloister order and rely on others for food, extras, etc., at the time, I was teaching at a school where a friend of mine was applying for a job. In Jefferson County Public Schools, seniority takes precedence. My boss said she really wanted to hire my friend, but the most senior person applying had to be hired. I stopped in to see the sisters. Most of the time, you could never see them in person. There was a turntable that you would put the goodies on and turn it to the other side. I completed a request to pray that my friend would get the job. Ironically, a sister came out and spoke with me, which was unusual. She held my hand and told me everything was going to be all right. The anxiety that I walked in with immediately dissipated. Something came over my body. And of course, you know the rest of the story. My friend got the job. The second time, uh, my job is, was a home hospital teacher 
and it took me many times downtown and to the west end of town. I was approached often by the homeless, and I carry, even to this day, $10 McDonald gift cards to give them. I had the radio cranked up, singing as I got off the exit of the expressway at Jefferson Street. There was always a homeless person at that exit. I pulled out my gift card and I handed it to him without skipping a beat of the radio. He touched my hand, said something to me, and it was in his eyes that I knew I was seeing the face of God. I will never, ever forget the way he looked at me and the peacefulness that came into my body. As I pulled away, I thought how in the Gospels, when Jesus touched someone, he told them not to tell. Of course, I was calling every person I knew on my cell phone and told them I had just been touched by the hand of God. I feel so blessed to have had these experiences. Yeah, thank you so much, Joyce, for sharing. Have you all ever had one of those moments where it was sort of after the fact where you knew, I have just seen the face of God, or I've just been touched by the face of God? It's when God shows up maybe in really unexpected places or in unexpected people. You didn't see it coming, but it was after the fact that you realized you had just had a divine encounter Something really similar happens in our scripture lesson this morning. The next Holy Ghost story that I want to share with you from scripture, and it's from part of the story of Jacob and how he has a divine encounter in a really unexpected place and sort of an unexpected person, and it wasn't until after the fact that he knew, he says, I have been touched by God. I have seen the face of God. Now, I want to set it up just so we can kind of remember where we will find Jacob in his story. Because, you know, he takes up a good chunk of Genesis. And I didn't think you all wanted to read, like, I don't know, like 12 chapters of Genesis this morning. Anybody? Someone told me that they had to leave by 1130 this morning. So let's get to it. Um, you all remember, you remember Jacob. Okay, he's son of Isaac and Rebekah. The son of Isaac and Rebekah, he has a twin brother, Esau. Esau was born first. Jacob, apparently born second, comes out clinging the heel of his brother, as if to like say, no, I want to be born first, is what some scholars say, but that it was a struggle from the womb, right? These two brothers sort of contending uh, and, and, and fighting in competition. Uh, later, uh, it's Jacob who steals Esau's birthright over a bowl of porridge. Like he, he steals it from his brother. It's kind of silly, but the big, really the big thing that he does is that he tricks his old aging father who is losing his sight, um, Isaac. He tricks him into giving him, Jacob, the firstborn blessing that was meant for his brother Esau. So he steals his birthright and his blessing by dressing up and, and sort of disguising himself as Esau goes into his, bother, his father's bedside uh, and he tricks his father into giving him uh, that blessing. And it was a blessing that was meant sort of this prophetic wish for fertility and dominion, you know, going to be in line, the next sort of father of Israel that we know and, and recite. Of course, when Esau finds out, he's furious, and he is so mad he wants to kill his brother. 
So it's his mother, Rachel, who says, you've got to get out of here. You've got to flee. And she sends Jacob to her family, to Laban, where he ends up marrying Leah and then later Rachel. And he stays away for 20 years in the land of Laban, tending to sheep and goats there, uh, sort of tricked in his own way into marrying Leah, works for seven years to marry Rachel, ends up marrying Leah as the father tricks him, and then works another seven years um, to, to marry Rachel, the one whom he loved. And it's because of this story that I always referred to my older sister as Leah. <laughs> the one that he truly loved was Rachel, the prettier one. I thought that was pretty clever. I was paying attention in Sunday school. She didn't like it as much. But it helped me remember the story, didn't it? It did. It did. <laughs> so he's kind of tricked and deceived in his own way. But he, stayed, he has stayed away for this many years. Um, and right at the beginning of our passage that I'm going to read for you here in a minute, the call of God comes and he says to Jacob, return home. Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. And I will be with you. Uh, and so Jacob begins to prepare to return home. Um, he, it's been a while, and he's still very afraid of how his brother Esau will receive him, if he will even be welcomed back home. So he sends messengers ahead to Esau to announce, hey, I'm coming, and here's who I'm bringing, and here's what I'm bringing. And the messengers come back, and they say, uh... Esau's coming to greet you, but also bringing with him 400 men. So what do you think is going to happen? Jacob's like, oh, they're going to attack us. He's going to kill me. And so he, he frantically, like, you know, he's got, by this time, he's got 11 kids by four women, by Leah and Rachel and two of his servants, two of their servants. Um, 12, I'm, I'm not 12 yet, but he's got 11 Lots of people, lots of, uh, there's lots of people in his company. And he frantically divides them into different camps, thinking, okay, if Esau attacks, maybe the other one will flee. Can you imagine? Can you imagine trying to make those? Yeah. So he's terrified. He believes that Esau is going to kill him. And so he prays. He prays this prayer. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, this is to God, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And this is where our, our Holy Ghost story picks up. This is Genesis 32. I'm going to read for us verses 22 through 31. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. 
Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed, limping because of his hip. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Sort of an odd story. Sort of a mysterious, a strange encounter. It's in the 16th century, a Spanish mystic and poet known as St. John of the Cross writes a poem about a spiritual journey of finding God that has since been referred to as the dark night of the soul. You guys remember that phrase? St. John of the Cross, who first sort of pins this, talking about a spiritual union within the striving to find God, referring to it as a dark night of the soul. Over time and throughout the years of church history, this phrase has kind of come to refer to just at any sort of difficulties or trials we might face in life in general. But it's also sometimes today referred to any sort of season of a spiritual crisis, even a crisis of faith on this journey toward finding God. We all, at time to time, might experience dark nights of the soul. There are many saints of the church that have sort of detailed their own dark nights um, that we can find and learn from history. This is St. Therese in the 19th century French nun who talks about her dark night derived from a season of doubting the existence of eternity, talking about heaven or the afterlife and what that really looked like. And in her season of doubt, she referred to as a dark night of her soul. And it's later, maybe more famously, you have St. Teresa of Calcutta, Mother Teresa, whom we know today, who actually chose her name of St. Teresa to honor the story of that other saint, St. Therese, who talked about her dark night of the soul because Mother Teresa herself struggled all throughout her life, referring to Christ or describing him as feeling distant or silent. Christ feeling distant and silent. She says her dark night endured from 1948 almost until her death in 1997 with only a few moments and pockets of feeling sort of at peace and in the presence of God. It's not something we always think about when you, you know, oh, Mother Teresa, this saint of the church. Only with a a few brief interludes of relief, according to her writings and her letters that we know now. It seems that we're finding Jacob maybe in a similar place, in a dark night of his soul. He's alone. It's at night on the banks of this river, the day before he's supposed to cross this river and face his brother, whom he hasn't seen in almost 20 years. He's filled with fear and uncertainty and doubt over what will happen. And it's in that moment when he wrestles with a stranger Until the break of day, it says, all night long, he wrestles with this stranger, this man on the banks of the river. 
Jacob's opponent at first appears to be a mystery to us. He's described as a man, but then there are hints that this is no sort of ordinary human. Right? We have hints that this is maybe, maybe some type of spiritual being. First of all, he's capable of knocking Jacob's hip out of joint. So he's, okay, pretty strong. They fight until daybreak by a river, which are two sort of like clues to us of like it's nighttime and it's by a river, that if you were an ancient listener in the Near East, the ancient Near East, you know, these are two sort of... Um, Two sort of references to, to folklore and tales at the time that I believed like demons and spirits dwelled by the river and they maybe they moved at night. And so if you were an ancient reader, you would say, oh, second clue that this is not a human but a spiritual being. And then there's clearly something about this man that leads Jacob to demand of him a blessing. So even Jacob recognizes this is no ordinary person, man, here. I'm going to demand a blessing. And there's also that line where it says even the spirit that he wrestles with says, okay, it's almost daybreak. You need to let me go. It's almost daybreak. And he says, no, not until you give me a blessing. Even though the spirit does not name itself explicitly, It is Jacob who reveals to us who this opponent really is. It is Jacob who who tells us after the fact that I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. He puts these clues together. He realizes that he has seen the face of God. And I think the biggest clue at all for Jacob in this story that we hear from him, the biggest indicator at all is that he is changed forever. He is physically transformed and changed. Others think that that just addition of that detail there at the end of the story, that he limped away from that place, that that was a limp and a reminder that he carried with him for the rest of his life. That he was a changed man from this point on. Each step he takes a reminder that he's been marked by the divine touch. And we also know that this is pretty significant, a a final clue maybe, and this sort of, he has contended with God and he has been transformed and he walks away changed. He's renamed. That's a pretty good indicator in scripture for us, like something significant has happened here. God blesses him, gives him a new identity and, you know, sort of a refined purpose and he walks away from this dark night of his soul changed. He goes from being called Jacob, which literally means in Hebrew, he takes by the heel or he cheats. From birth, right, grabbing on the heel, he's named Jacob. And all throughout his life, he's the one that has cheated his way to get ahead. And sometimes been the one deceived and cheated as well. But he's like identified as this, Jacob. It just sort of encompasses the truth of who Jacob has been, who he is, a supplanter, a cheater, a liar, lied to his father, stole his brother's blessing, had to run for his life, struggled for 20 years with his father-in-law, Laban, deceiving and being deceived. But now he's renamed and called Israel, the one who contends with God, the wrestler, the God wrestler. 
the father of the 12 tribes that will become the great nation of Israel. This name now reveals the truth of who Jacob is becoming. A new man, the father of a new nation. The one's self-centered youth will become the great patriarch. The one who in his old age will lead his family down into Egypt and even bless Pharaoh himself. It is a moment of transformation for Jacob where he's given a new name, a new identity, and has changed ever after. To me, I think this whole scene is really a great example an indication for us of, of what faith looks like. It's a whole example of the nature of faith itself, of a God who's willing to meet us where we are, alone in our fear and uncertainty on the banks of a river at night, you know, just in our seasons of doubt, in our seasons of fear, in our seasons of hurt and pain and loss. We serve a God who's willing to meet us where we are, who comes to us, and then who lets us wrestle with him. <laughs> like, think about the grace that God allows us. That God could have ended this fight. <laughs> and yet God allows us to wrestle and contend with God. That we can hurl all we have at God, our anger, our frustration, our confusion, our grief, and God takes it. And God lets us fight. And lets us hang on. And through this process, in many times and in many ways, we're given a blessing. And the response of faith, I think, in this example, it's the response that is to cling to the Spirit no matter what. To cling, to not let go. Until you are transformed, until the break of day, until the dark night ends, until you are given this blessing to not let go. There's another one of you that um, shared a story that I thought was really fitting uh, for this sort of nature of faith that is to contend with God. Uh, and so we're going to hear uh, from Kendall Spaulding now. I'm Kendall Spaulding. Um, been with Revolution since it started. Uh, but my story is about a, a pretty difficult bike ride that I took been about seven years ago um, when I found out that two of my good friends uh, were diagnosed with uh, inoperable brain tumors. Uh, and one was the wife of who is a gentleman who is my best friend. Um, I didn't take too well with that. Uh, it was something that uh, angered me. Uh, and at the time I was bike riding quite a bit and I got on my bike one Saturday morning and took off and rode about 85 miles um, and the entire time that I was on my bicycle I was toe-to-toe -to -toe with God um, fussing complaining uh, angry that uh, he was allowing this to happen uh, and not allowing me to fix it I can recall um, finally having to get off of my bicycle because I had no blood sugar left. <laughs> and I stopped in a little convenience store, picked up a Snickers bar and a diet, Dr. Pepper, sat down in front of Jeff Boat on the bench outside of the store, and 
start it again. Uh, why are you not letting me take care of this? And in a very clear and uh, audible voice, I was told to be quiet. Um, the voice was so audible that I even turned around to see who was talking to me. Uh, and when I got ready to say something else, he said, that's enough. So deep breath, sat back, and I said, then what? He says, you do not know what my plan is. You cannot control it, and you can't fix it. The only thing that you can do, which is what I ask of you, is to take care of your friend. Shrugged my shoulders, got back on my bike, <clears throat> went back on, told Janet, I said, we need to go out and see Jeff and Lynn. She said, is it okay? And I said, it will be. I said, but we need to go to see Jeff and Lynn. So we headed out, um, met with them, talked to Lynn for a little while, and then I went out with Jeff. And sat down by their pool, and I told him, this is what's going to happen. Jeff, who is a lot like me, fixes everything. Um, had a lot of the same questions that I did. And I said, I can't fix the outcome, but I can help you. And that's what I did. Uh, and still do to this day. Um, he and I communicate, uh, not on a regular basis, but it is something that I have enjoyed doing. It made me realize where I belong. And it made me realize that I don't control it. Um, still have a hard time with that sometimes and still get upset with him. But he allows me to do that. And I now understand that God is in control of this. I don't. But that is my story, and I appreciate being able to share it. Kendall, thank you so much for sharing with us. Because the truth is that life is, the life of faith is, is full of dark nights. Those moments when, when we have a bone to pick with God, a question, a frustration, that we're angry, asking why? Why is this happening? Why have you allowed this to happen? If we live long enough, each of us will face a season like this in our life of faith. Whether it's over that diagnosis or that loss. Or one of those questions or episodes that have just shaken our faith to its core. And you've wondered why. Maybe it's some of you that are here today or, or have come back from, from ch to church for a long, it's been a long time because you were harmed by Others who claimed the name of Christ and you were hurt and, and didn't feel welcome and, and you wondered why. Why would, why would God allow that to happen by people who claim the name of Christ himself? It's, it's these things that we wrestle with and, and these questions and these doubts. But for me, it's the response of faith that we see here in Jacob, that even in those doubts and those questions and those struggling, it's that we don't let go. 
that we can question it and we can yell and we can wrestle, but we don't let go. And it's, it's that pattern that we're seeing from a lot of people who are, who are wondering and who are maybe leaving church right now and leaving. And it's not that they're leaving faith. It's that they have all these questions of, of what they've been taught or what they've inherited or what they've seen or the witness of others. And it's that Jesus guy that we just can't let go of, that we cling to the promises and the truth and the love of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that we don't let go of. And it's in, it's in this it, it, that we're reminded that the blessing we receive is the presence of God who's with us all along. You heard it from Kendall. It's God asking him not to control the outcome, not to fix this, but to show up and be present and take care of your friend. That's how we act like Jesus. The one who comes to us, the one who's incarnated into the flesh, who comes into our sin and suffering and redeems us, asking us to be present. And it's this truth that we can remember that God keeps his promises. You know, it's in sort of the end of this section of Jacob's story when he does cross the river and he faces his brother and all 400 of his men. And he says, Jacob lifted his eyes and looked. Behold, Esau was coming. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. These two brothers were reconciled. There was forgiveness. There was joy. There was reunion. And it's this promise that we can hold on to, that God keeps his promises, that he promised to Jacob, I will surely do good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. He even says to his brother, seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. Jacob wrestled with God. Jacob was transformed. Jacob received a new identi identity, and we believe he, he left from that place changed, no longer the cheater, but the one who contends with God. And in this moment, you can see the grace and reconciliation received and extended. He says this, it's just reinforcing the divine encounter that he just had. It's like seeing the face of God. Friends, there's so much that we can't fix and know in this life on this side of the kingdom. But I give thanks that we serve a God who is willing to let us wrestle, who's willing to let us ask the hard questions, who provides us with a community of faith to support and love us and be present with us, leave space for us, not answer questions or, or give us sort of like surface level answers, but to leave space for the divine mystery of faith. And to remind us of these promises that we are not alone and that God keeps our promises. It is true that in, as the Holy Spirit is continuing to work in our lives that it's often so much fear at work in our lives, so much darkness. And maybe you all know and maybe you're in one now, a dark night of your soul. But it's in these moments that we can still see and experience the Holy Spirit who shows up with us. And this is a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. This is a spirit, not of fear, but who meets us where we are, 
who redeems us, who changes us, and who blesses us with the Spirit of God to leave from that place changed. And in that, we can say thanks be to God. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much for meeting us where we are. May we have the faith today to not let go, to cling to that spirit of truth, to cling to you because of your goodness and your promises and your mercy and your provision. May we be comforted today by knowing that your presence is with us, that your presence goes before us and with us, and that you are preparing us for a place and for that kingdom where the doubts and the suffering and the pain and the loss and the grief that we experience will be no more. That you are preparing a kingdom for us of justice and of love and of equity and of unity. And while there is much that we cannot explain, Lord, we ask that you would continue to prepare us for that coming day to give us the faith and the peace and the presence and the power that we need to continue building for that coming kingdom. That is our hope and that is our prayer. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.